If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, leading ladies, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, board-certified family physician executive leadership coach, speaker, and your biggest cheerleader in your leadership journey. Today, we are continuing our series on women physicians on the front lines. And I have the pleasure today of interviewing Dr. Brittany Scott. Her story is so unique and so exciting. I can't wait to share it with you. And I can't wait for us to get into a discussion about all of the wonderful things that she's doing. So Dr. Brittany Scott is a physician turned process improvement expert turned entrepreneur. She was born in Huntsville, Alabama to two phenomenal Jamaican parents. Dr. Scott is a double HBCU grad. She received her BS in biology from Oakwood University and then matriculated to Howard University where she received her MD. However, early in her medical career, Dr. Scott realized that her ultimate passion was in serving the underserved, and that that doesn't have to be done at the bedside. This is what brought her to process improvement. She hated seeing how inefficiencies in our health system disproportionately affected certain individuals, especially those that looked like her. Dr. Scott has worked both clinically and operationally in small and large acute care facilities, as well as ambulatory care. Ultimately, Dr. Scott decided that she wanted to do more, so she began her healthcare process improvement firm focused on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, where she brings process to the difficult topics of DE&I. Her company's core value is that people matter, and she truly feels like she's living in her purpose by helping our healthcare institutions treat all people like they matter. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Brittany Scott, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Herbert. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, absolutely. So we were introduced, you know, by a mutual colleague, and I was just so intrigued by your story that I wanted to definitely invite you and have you on the podcast so you can share your story with our listeners. Um, sometimes, you know, I think it's important for us to have different perspectives and to look at different 
people's journeys in terms of their career and leadership and gain some insight from that. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. And I want to just jump right in and ask you, you know, when you think about the decision that you made in terms of, you know, changing your career and this journey that you decided to take, what was instrumental in that? How did you kind of reach that decision? Well, that's a big question. Um, I think sometimes it's so easy to ask these questions. And when you're looking in hindsight, it's it's like a quick answer. But when you're going through the journey, it was a long journey to get there. Um, for me, I think that what was really instrumental in this process was honestly my father, which is interesting um, because um, even though both of my parents are immigrants, which uh, if anybody knows anything about uh, most immigrant parents, their ideas of what you should be become are pretty limited. <laughs> um, a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a nurse, you know, those are usually some of the lists that you see. Um, but my dad, he's actually an entrepreneur himself. And so um, he kind of built into me this idea that you can do and you can be anything that you want and that it's most important to follow your passion and your purpose. Um, and in med school, I was, first of all, my whole life's dream was to become a doctor. Um, and in med school, I really had, like, I, I was really trying to figure out what exactly am I doing here now? Now that I've achieved, now that I'm here and I'm doing the thing that I always thought I was supposed to do, but now I'm here and it doesn't quite feel right. Um, I wasn't one of those students who, you know, ate and lived and breathed medicine. Um, I like to dance and I like to do poetry and all types of other stuff. And I just didn't necessarily feel like I always um, belonged. And I especially when um, I would be in the hospital and I would say, man, you know what I really don't like? I don't like uh, these different gaps. I don't like these different inefficiencies. And I didn't have all the verbiage towards it. So when I kind of, when I finished my, or during my third year, I realized I think I need some time. Um, I thought maybe I would become a psychiatrist. That was uh, the field that I liked the most. But I was like, I think I need some time to one, if I'm going to become a psychiatrist, change my application to focus on that. Um, and then to two, actually decide if any of this is what I want. So I took a year off um, against, or what I thought was going to be a year off um, against all, you know, all advice that I had received. Um, um, and that year off or quote unquote year off changed my life. Um, because when my mentor asked me, so Britt, what, what are you going to do during this year off? I thought about the things that annoyed me. I thought about the things mm. that I really didn't like. And I said, you know what, I'm going to make hospitals more efficient. And I didn't know how to do it, but I, I really believed that I could. And I really mm -hmm. um, believed that I could because I was passionate about it. And I really um, cared about it, not just because it's annoying from um, me being in the hospital or the standpoint of me being in the hospital, but I also didn't like who it disproportionately affected. Mm, Our yeah. um, disenfranchised patients were just made more and more disenfranchised by our health systems systems. And I didn't like it. 
So mm-hmm. I decided I was going to go ahead and I would take this time off and I was going to figure out how to even get into the space to make um, health systems or hospitals more efficient. And uh, my mentor introduced me to CQI. And honestly, it, it kind of feels like the rest is history because when I finally got my role in operational excellence, I knew that I was in my space. I knew that mm. I would be a great doctor. Um, my patients loved me and I, I loved my patients, and which is why I was doing this work to begin with. But I knew that I would be a phenomenal healthcare process improvement um, champion. Um, and then when I finally kind of got the the braveness uh, to to jump and to start my own business, initially I thought it was going to be in regular process improvement. But as I spoke about it um, to different individuals, it always came back to my why, which was those disenfranchised and those disenfranchised individuals, and as I spoke about it, the people were more and more interested in my why than even in my work at the time. Uh, And that made me realize, hey, I think my work can even be more closely integrated with my why, which is why I I brought process to to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because a lot of times we have round tables and we talk a lot. Um, and we feel a lot, right? But um, yeah. I wanted to bring objectivity. I wanted to bring uh, change that was tangible, where people knew, "Hey, here's how I feel about DEI. Here's, you know, I know how I feel. I know that there's a, this huge moral case for DEI. But well, what do I do with that? How do I actually make it happen?" And that's when you call the clinic doctor. <laughs> uh, so that's that's what really brought up forth my my changes. Yeah. That's a great story. And thank you for sharing that with us. I, you know, I really commend you for um, a number of things. I mean, one, it's just realizing early on, right, that something wasn't right, that something just didn't fit, that you felt like, you know, there was something else out there, something more you needed to be doing in the traditional route of, you know, going through um, and, and, and becoming a, a doctor in the clinical you know, realm really wasn't it for you. So definitely commend you for that um, because it really does. It takes a level of like self-awareness and insight and reflection to be able to even sit with that and realize that that's where you need to go and the next move that you need to make and then to actually do it, you know, is it, something, something different as well. So Definitely kudos to you for that. Thank you. (laughs) Just being brave, (laughs) just being brave and and taking those steps. Um, You know, I think for a lot of us, we do um, have a passion for a lot of the things that that we set out to do. And sometimes we forget our why. You know, we forget the reason why we're doing the things that we do. So it's always important to to really come back to that. So, So it's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah. So the next thing I want to to find out from you is, you know, you you've mentioned this process improvement um, in terms of the work that you do. So tell us a little bit about what your day looks like as a process improvement expert in the work that you do. Um, who do you serve? Um, and then what challenges do you face in that space? Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, 
I take a process improvement from a Lean Six Sigma uh, space or like a backdrop. Um, I'm a black belt in Lean Six Sigma. So that's the way that I think about uh, process. And um, the day-to-day, my day-to-day life, honestly, a lot of it looks like being an entrepreneur. I thought more of it would, I thought the majority of it would look like, um, would look like um, going and being in the work. But I also realized that when I decided to become a business owner, uh, that that required so much, so many new skills to be employed. Um, but when mm-hmm. I'm actually in the work, depends on on what the day's like. Depends on what my focus is on. So we offer things like um, our DI design days, which are very like intense, uh, full day boot camp style um, DI like. Yeah, design days where by the end of the day, well, one, we bring our uh, key stakeholders or your key stakeholders and your um, your decision, meaning your decision makers and your diverse staff, we bring them together and we have the tough conversations. Uh, we have the conversations that make you cringe a little bit, but you ultimately make you feel better as a person and make your organization better overall. And then by the end of it, we have a full-blown strategy using our Lean Six Sigma, um, but we also integrate psychology in it because we use um, we use Maslow's hierarchy of needs as the backdrop to the conversation. So we're understanding what are the motivations of our diverse staff, and then what are what is the process for us to actually make that change for our diverse staff. Um, so that's what uh, one of the days in the life of a healthcare process improvement um, expert who's focused on DEI looks like. Um, and some of the challenges that I face, well, there's a number of challenges. Uh, one, I think uh, sometimes it's or it's generally a pretty uncomfortable topic um, for both the diverse staff and the decision makers um, because Nobody wants to admit, you know, the times when they've been prejudiced or biased or, you know, any of that stuff. So I think some of the challenge, some of the big challenges are even getting to the space to be able to broker that conversation. Um, Also thinking about uh, having leaders in spaces like our chief diversity officers. There's a lot of chief diversity officers that I speak with. And as I talk to them, I realized a lot of them are just kind of faces up there and they need even more than the DEI design day. They need buy-in. They need somebody to, to come in there and help, help it make sense. Sometimes help it make dollars, literally um, mm-hmm. this whole idea of, of DEI. And then I think also because um, when I, whenever I step out of the space of DEI, I think there are other issues to that I that I also face in terms of being young and being black and being a woman um, and having to uh, having to really um, step forward with my qualifications first, um, because mm-hmm. there are certain expectations when you look at me. And also, I'm locking up my hair, so that doesn't make it any easier. So, you know, when you look at me, there are certain expectations. But when you realize that I am qualified to be here and to do the things that I do, um, it it the conversation tends to shift. 
Yeah, I think the first thing is um, using your data, um, using your data to be able to uncover the business case of DEI. Um, I know that it's a little bit of a touchy subject um, sometimes because there shouldn't be, there shouldn't have to be a business case for you to treat people correctly, <laughs> right? right? Um, but then realizing that we live in a capitalistic society, realizing that healthcare is a business um, especially in America, there has to be, in order for um, for leadership to even have the bandwidth to prioritize DEI, I think a lot of times you have to um, be able to also present the, um, the business case. And so driving into the data, there's a huge business case for DEI, especially in healthcare, especially when we um, think about our shift to value-based care and, and what that looks like. Uh, there's a there's just a huge there's a huge business mm-hmm. case for it. And I think if we start by drilling into the data, understanding what the business case is, and then also understanding what the moral case is, why does it actually matter to these people? So individuals who are not being treated fairly, like what does that look like, and why does it really matter to them? And being able to get in touch with somebody else's lived experience it's not going to be everybody's lived experience. Even for me, um, I do DEI consulting, yet I'm straight. Um, I'm, I'm heterosexual and um, I am Christian, which uh, provides me a certain level of privilege within this country. And um, there's very, there's, and I'm, I'm um, able-bodied. So there's so many things where like, at the end of the day, my lived experience isn't going to be the same as somebody else's, but when we're able to listen to each other and take a second um, and step into each other's shoes, I think that that is kind of where that um, where the business case has a has an opportunity to live and breathe. Yeah, that's that's great. And you actually mentioned something that. Um you know, I've talked about previously as well, um, not only on my podcast, but also on the podcast of others and, and, and on my social media posts as well. And that is empathy, which it sounds like that's what you were referring to when yeah. you're saying step into the shoes of someone else and how important empathy is, um, you know, in terms of really embracing DE&I and in terms of us hearing each other and us getting to a place where we can um, come together, right, collaboratively to have those uh, positive outcomes that we're looking, that we're looking to have for our communities. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So when you look at your um, process improvement and in terms of the work that you do, what impact have you seen uh, with that work in terms of outcomes in, in organizations or in terms of really the, the buy-in that you're looking for in terms of DEI? What kind of impact have you noticed, if any? Yeah, so um, I think that the biggest impact that I've noticed is its ability to, to stir up conversation conversation that kind of gets put in the the back office <laughs> that gets hidden away in the barbershops um the conversations that are kept in certain social circles um when i 
even just me being, just literally just being alive Mm -hmm. and talking to people about what I do, it opens up so much space. It it, it opens up so much space for new understanding um, by not uh, by not having to hide from issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, by um, recognizing um, our differences, recognizing that there are inequities, um, recognizing all of those stuff and being upfront with it, the conversations that um, I'm able to facilitate have been have been so phenomenal. And they're conversations that growing as a young girl growing up in Alabama, conversations that I had never had before, um, that I never expected to have, and that I never expected that they could be commonplace and that they could happen in professional settings as well. Yeah, that's great. And what do you think it, what do you think it is that really drives that conversation? Is it, is it one thing that resonates with with everyone you know across all different you know backgrounds um how do people eventually like just let their guard down and start having these conversations i think um going at it from um an objective space um in some ways as well as um letting people know that it's safe it's okay mm-hmm. to be ignorant. Um, it's okay. So growing up, uh, like I said, I grew up in Alabama and I uh, remember a specific presidential election and I had a lot of friends. Um, so uh, most of my life I went to a predominantly black school, but for a few years I didn't. And um, I had lots of friends uh, that didn't quite look like me and I'm, and I remember doing this presidential election after I had, you know, graduated high school and stuff. Um, I, I saw the posts that my friends were making and mm-hmm. I was kind of appalled. I was like, but you were at my house, but you mm-hmm. know, but we were friends. We used to go out together. Like why, why would you of all people, you know, say that? And what I realized was that, um, that so much of of racism and not just racism but most biases they're they don't make you necessarily a bad person it just makes you an effect of your environment uh, but that is to say that that shouldn't affect me. So like, just because, right. you know, that, you know, your environment affected you a certain way, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't get certain jobs or I shouldn't get certain promotions or I shouldn't be made to feel comfortable in my workspace. That's not what that means. But it means mm-hmm. that I approach conversations um, with the very, um, with the foundation of it's okay to be ignorant. Because mm-hmm. if you don't acknowledge your ignorance, there's no way for you to learn. Uh, if, mm. if you don't acknowledge your ignorance and, and if somebody else is, is very um, defensive against your ignorance, then naturally the person who, who's ignorant becomes defensive again. And that doesn't help anything. That doesn't help conversations. That doesn't help mm. change. Um, so I think really coming at it from a space of, yeah, it's okay. 
It's mm-hmm. okay to not know. That's what we're here for. That's why these conversations are happening. And if you had known, like, I believe in the goodness of humanity. And I believe that if a lot of people were brought up differently, or if a lot of people did know what they don't know now, um, that they would have lived their life differently. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity for you to live differently tomorrow, because now you do now. Yes, it's an opportunity to get it right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, I am definitely excited about the work that you're doing. I think it's definitely needed. Um, I think it's a space where a lot of growth and um, potential still lies. And I am just excited for you. And I wish you the best of luck as you move forward um, with your business and with this work of process improvement in the DEI space that you're doing. Thank you so much, Dr. Herbert. I really appreciate it. You can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's an easy way to, to get in contact with me. I tend to be on there a lot. So if you go to www.linkedin.com slash in slash the clinic doctor, you'll be able to find um, my personal page. You can also email me at clinic doctor at gmail, clinic doctor consulting at gmail.com. Um, And then I also do have a complimentary 30-minute discovery calls that I'm offering, and you can find those at caledly.com. So that's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y.com slash clinic doctor consulting. Wonderful. Thank you again, Dr. Brittany, for being here today. And again, um, I'm sure our listeners are going to actually love listening to this conversation. And Don't be a stranger. Come back and visit us again. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Dr. Herbert. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.